Oh, dear friends, there's power in desperation with God. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. John mentioned a few minutes ago, we are in the second half of the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus has just transitioned from his ministry to Galilee, the Jewish region, towards his ministry to the Gentiles. He's gone to the cities of Tyre and Sidon, traditionally hostile cities in the ancient Israelite culture, and he has gone there to share the news with those who will receive it, and along the way, he encounters a woman of the area who gives him a most compelling proposition. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magdalene. There's power in desperate faith. There's power in persistent humility. Matthew refers to this woman from Syrophoenicia as a Canaanite woman. It's kind of an unusual expression because in the first century, she would not have been referred to as a Canaanite. She would have been referred to from her area. But to refer to her as a Canaanite was to conjure in minds of Old Testament Israel the battles and the warfares that they faced against the Canaanites of that day. If you can imagine calling a modern-day German uh, a Nazi in a kind of a crass way, that's the kind of imagery that is taking place here. In fact, Sidon, the city where Jesus is getting ready to minister, is said to be the home of the wicked queen Jezebel, who wreaked much havoc in Old Testament Israel. So the Canaanites, in Israel's mind, are public enemy number one. And Matthew wants us to see that. And this woman from Syrophoenicia, this Canaanite woman, comes to Jesus and she says, Have mercy on me. 
She asked him for that which she does not deserve, mercy, O Lord. And she recognizes something about him because she refers to him as the son of David. And she says, here's my problem. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Here is this woman asking of Jesus the biggest favor of her life, and Jesus doesn't respond to her. In fact, he doesn't even answer her a word. He doesn't even acknowledge her presence. And finally, the disciples come to him and say, at least send her away because she's crying out after us. She's following us. And if you can't answer her, at least tell her to go home. And Jesus basically replies with the biblical equivalent of forget about her. He says, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She cries out again, Lord, help me. Jesus says something evenly more hateful. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Use of dogs in Jewish culture is not meant to be complimentary. Do not give dogs what is holy, Jesus says in Matthew 7, nor throw your pearls to the swine lest they trample them underfoot. And if you are asking this question as someone who has studied the Bible for a long time, or maybe you're here not as a, a believer, you don't really know the Bible that well, you haven't studied it that much, the question that all of us have to be asking on some level is what in the world happened to compassionate Jesus? Is he in hiding? You almost want to call out, come on, compassionate Jesus, come out loving Jesus, wherever you went, come back. And she responds with exactly what Jesus is testing her with. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. That got the master's attention. He turns around and he says to her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And in her limited understanding, her limited Gentile learning, this Canaanite woman understands more than all of the Pharisees combined that the blessing of Abraham would not just be to the Jews, but it would be to all the nations. If you can imagine being in a line as a, as a U.S. citizen, or maybe you've gotten your passport and you're about to become a U.S. citizen, and you're at the front of the queue and you've got a bunch of people behind you, and someone comes out and says, now things have changed, the rule has changed, anybody in here can become a U.S. citizen and you can become a U.S. citizen right at this time, just pray this prayer. And if that makes you angry, Imagine the Israelites who have had the promise of God, who have had the covenant for all these years, who have fought against the Gentiles, and Jesus is about to tell them the great mystery of the gospel that the Gentiles can receive this too. That there is neither male nor female, there is neither slave nor free, but Christ is all in in all, the power of desperate faith, of Canaanite faith. Even the people in Jesus' hometown do not honor him. He has to leave without honor in Nazareth. But the people who supposedly didn't know the message understood it better than the ones who had learned it all of these years. The power of persistent humility. I'm reminded of Jacob 
wrestling with God in the Old Testament. You remember that God had promised to make of him a great nation as he had also promised his grandfather, Abraham. Jacob's wandering around in the desert wondering how in the world he is going to make it. He's just been kicked out of his family. He's in the middle of a transition. And suddenly the angel of God visits him in the middle of the night. It referred to as Jacob's ladder, his stairway to heaven. The angel comes down and wrestles with him. And Jacob will not let go of the heel of that angel. He says, I will not let go unless your blessing unless your power is on my life. God honors that request. I am convinced that what we need more than anything else today is a desperation for the power of God. This woman, she has nowhere else to turn, and so she comes to the one who turns all things. Listen, Jesus doesn't hear those who have it all together, but to those who come to the one who holds all things together. And when people are grabbing friends during the response time and saying, come and pray for me, when we are desperate enough to cry out loud with this Canaanite woman, Lord, help me! There's a difference between someone who is indifferent and someone who is desperate, is there not? We have a lot of indifference in our churches today. This Bible Belt mentality that says, yes, I really should follow the Lord. Yes, I ought to get things together. And Jesus says, if that's your way of thinking, there's a day coming when he's going to spew you out of his mouth because you're lukewarm. But when you become desperate, that's when the phone rings in the middle of the night. That's when you cry out to God when you can't make it on your own saying, God, I need you to intervene. That is usually a great sign because when you reach your breaking point, that is usually your starting point with God. Here is this Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman crying out, Lord, help me and I will eat the crumbs off your table if I can just know your power. You got a son or a daughter today? Maybe they're not demon-possessed. They just act like demons sometimes. You'd give anything for them, wouldn't you? Have you interceded with God on their behalf? You got a spouse? You got a family member? You got a neighbor? You got a co-worker? Oh, dear friends, there's power. In desperation with God, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God hears those cries. He knows how to give good gifts to his kids. Power of persistent humility. But then there's another power that Jesus refers to here, is there not? It is the power of spiritual healing. Jesus goes further into this Gentile region. He makes camp by the Sea of Galilee, and as he continues to be rejected by his own people, he turns to those willing to receive him, those outside the Jewish faith. Here are these people in ancient times living without modern medicine, aching, in pain, in distress, trying to get by day to day and not having any of the medical resources that we have nowadays. And when they see what Jesus can do, they start to bring people with them. Because when you experience the power and the presence of Jesus, you don't keep it to yourself. Can you imagine a lame man who crawls out to the sea and he comes home walking? You ask him, what did you drink? 
said, I don't know, there was this man called Jesus. He told me to get up and walk, so I did. <laughs> you think they ran that in the Galilee County Clarion? Bet it made front page news. He begins to heal those who are distressed. And he doesn't just heal their body, he heals the deeper needs of their soul. There's power in persistent humility. There's power in spiritual healing, but then there's a power of the bread of life. This is interesting. Sometimes we get these confused about when the miracles occurred of the feeding of the thousands. There's actually two of them as referred to. There's the feeding of the 5,000, which has happened a little bit earlier. The disciples have experienced that. That was for the Jewish people. But the feeding of the 4,000 occurs in Gentile territory. These people have been with Jesus for three days. Their resources physically are strengthened. They are exhausted. They don't have adequate supplies to get back. They're about to collapse. And Jesus has compassion on them, and he says to the disciples, get them some food. And the disciples look around for Kroger and Walmart, and they don't see it. And they say, Lord, we, we've got nothing to offer them. Jesus says, what do you got? And they say, we've got seven loaves. He says, bring it. They had seen 5,000 men besides women and children fed before, and now there's 4,000. And they've forgotten what Jesus did. Sometimes those closest to Jesus don't always realize who He is or what He's about. There is a symbolic speculation about this feeding. Jesus blesses the food, hands it out. There's seven giant baskets full left over. These are the baskets that they would have used out on the sea in their boats to store things. Huge baskets left over. Some say the 12 is representative of the tribes of Israel, and these seven baskets are representative of the number of completion because herein is the mystery of the gospel hidden throughout all the ages revealed to us that the Gentiles are a part of this covenant. Say it in modern parlance that if Al-Qaeda repents of their sins, they are part of this covenant. The gospel coming to Gentiles as well as Jews and Jesus comes into this place as one having authority. And for the first time since the fall, creation sees its boss in person. And so in the hands of Jesus, the physical world becomes like Plato in his hands. It's his building blocks. It's his etch-a-sketch. And so he calls out to the sun as his light switch. He calls out to the moon, and it is just as his flashlight. The deserts are his sandbox. The oceans are his drops in a bucket. He calls the planets into existence and flings those stars out into space. But Jesus doesn't come simply to demonstrate his power. He comes to give it up. He empties himself. He lays aside his divine rights so that you and I might have life. He takes upon him the punishment that we deserve. Oh, friends, if you have a choice between great privilege and great faith, choose great faith. Just as Jesus does this with His power, just as this Canaanite woman who's without privilege demonstrates great faith. A few years ago, I was in Burma on a mission trip, and one of the experiences that you have, those of you who have been to second or third world countries, countries where traffic laws and stop signs and lights are really more of a distraction or a suggestion than they are a rule. And we rode around to a couple of places with a guy named Kenneth, the taxi driver. And most of the taxis that we had been in um, had idols, you know, on the, on the windshield, on the rearview mirror hanging down. 
Kenneth had a cross. Now, I knew something was different with him, especially in a country that had before been hostile and closed to the gospel. Well, if you've ridden down like this, you're in fear of your life. In this particular taxi, there was actually a hole in the floorboard where you could literally see the ground. You're, you're running into people. You're thinking you're about to crash ten times. If you like roller coasters, go to one of these countries. If you don't like roller coasters, take a barf bag because that's what it feels like riding around. And this whole time, while Kenneth is taking us to our destinations, he's trying to speak in English with me, and I have no idea how to speak Burmese to him. And so there's a language gap. He's pointing at places. He's grinning. He knows that we have something in common, and when we finally get to the place, and we've tried to have all these different types of interaction, and we don't know what each other is saying, he looks at me, he shakes my head and hand, and he says, see you in heaven one day. And I thought, this man, who probably doesn't have any of the theological education and seminaries and churches and resources that we have in the United States, probably knows more about the gospel than I do. Because he understands what's at stake on the scales of eternity. And here is this Canaanite woman willing to trust Jesus for everyone and everything against all odds, and she simply takes Him at His word. You can too. I wonder what would happen today if we stopped listening to the Word of God and started obeying the Word of God. We didn't come into this place to hear a sermon, but we said, if anything that the Word of God tells me today, I'm going to go out and do it this week. We change the world. We turn it upside down. And it's not so much the amount of faith you have that matters but it's who your faith is in. Someone said humility always obtains in proportion as men see the goodness and greatness of God. How big is your God? Because my God can heal the lame. He can raise up the sick. He can make blind to see. And He can restore dead men's bones and bring them back to life. And if He can do all of that, He can take care of you too if you'll trust Him. Power. Desperate faith. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.